First Timothy chapter 3. Qualifications for overseers or elders. This is pretty intimidating to read, uh, being one. So I uh, hope Jackie is full of grace this morning. <laughs> the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Lord, we just come to you this morning and and, uh, we thank you for these qualifications that you've laid before us. And Lord, I especially thank you for your word, which you've given us, for your Holy Spirit, which leads and guides us into all truth and uh, enables us to understand and to, to be changed. Lord, we just pray this morning as we dig into these uh, qualifications of an elder that you would help us uh, rightly divide your word. Lord, help us to see what you want us to see as we are all overseers in some part. Lord, and you desire all of us to be your followers and to become more Christ-like every day. Lord, bless this time of studying your word and help us to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we get an opportunity to uh, look at what the Bible teaches us about leadership, what leadership ought to look like how it ought to come together. And there's a lot of interesting things that I, I don't want us to miss as we, as we come to this text. A lot of people are familiar with this text. One of the things that the, the Bible teaches us is this idea of a plurality of leadership. And uh, usually the argument against such a thing would be, well, you know, it's, it's so much easier if there's just one guy. Sure. One guy, full of the Holy Spirit, it's easier for he or, or she to move, to do whatever they're going to do, to accomplish what, God's, uh, what God might be directing them. Same could be true of a council of leaders, no? So often when we think about leadership, when we think about leadership within the body of Christ, we have... Um, a pragmatic look at things, meaning we're always looking for what's, what, well, what would be easiest, but we tend to take out of consideration the work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to take that out. Calvary Chapel Buell, one of the things that may be somewhat unique to us, um, although not as unique maybe as some might, might think, at least from the conversations I've had with uh, some of the other Calvary pastors in Idaho and Washington, but the, uh, the idea of having a plurality, having a, an eldership. And as we look at uh, the elders, the way the Bible describes the elders, what the Bible says about the elders, it's interesting to, to recognize that we want to ground everything we do, everything that we say in the Word of God. Otherwise, what's the point? So I'd like to stay away from, uh, 
from play acting and pretending and trying to come up with things that aren't there. Just try to do what's laid out on the, on the pages of Scripture for us. So when we look at it, we see this concept. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he wrote to the elders, the deacons, and the saints. So there was a plurality of leadership. There was several people involved in making church work. And here's one of the pretty incredible things we see when the Bible talks about the gifts that Christ gave to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, teachers. And the point of it was for the equipping of the saints. And the point of equipping the saints is to raise up and call up saints to replicate. It's not about how big a place can you make, how many people can you get to sit down on a Sunday. It's about how many people can you grow. How many people can you equip. Everybody's not an evangelist. That doesn't mean everybody doesn't share their their faith. But everybody doesn't have the gift of an evangelism. Everybody doesn't feel that urging to go uh, pack up the motorhome and go on a tour around the United States like maybe Don's done in the past and go share their faith. Now, everybody should share their faith wherever we are. But he gave gifts to the church. Why did he give these gifts to the church? So that the church would grow. What is the point of growing? We're not supposed to sit around on a bottle all the time, right? We're supposed to be developing. We're supposed to be becoming who, uh, who we feel God is directing us to be. Here's, there's so many interesting things that we just want to... I, I wish I could tell you how many times people have shared with me, Jackie, I, I, I want you to, to come alongside and, and just raise me up. Nobody ever likes what that looks like. I don't know what picture we have in our mind of what that's going to be. But nobody likes it. When Jeremiah's kind of struggling with that idea, you know what God told Jeremiah to do? Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. And Jeremiah watched the potter, and he's watching the potter make a pot, right? And then Jeremiah says, and then it seemed like the potter saw some mar. Now, Jeremiah didn't see it. Jeremiah just sees a pot spinning on a wheel. Everything looks good. But the, the potter, he does. And what does he do? He crushes it. He brings it back into the lump. He works it. He moves it. He does all these things to it. And then he continues to grow. And what, what is broken or can't be, what can't be um, trained under the potter's hand gets put on a pile. Now the unique thing about clay is it might be hard and crumbly on a pile. But you can almost always bring it back as long as you haven't, as long as you haven't fired it. You can bring that clay back. It just takes breaking and working and people will say i want to be a part i want to i want to go on with the lord and everybody who the lord wants to use just please listen everybody god wants to use he breaks and he doesn't break out of cruelty he breaks the way the potter breaks and the potter is able to see the mars we don't we may not see So when we look at a plurality of leadership, one of the blessings of a plurality of leadership is you have multiple men filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a requirement, filled with the Holy Spirit being directed by the Lord, and they don't always know the whys any more than you do. Do you know why you chose one thing over another today? Maybe, maybe not. Do you know why when you seek the Lord, God doesn't seem to give you a peace over a certain thing? Maybe you feel like, I don't know, I don't, I don't really feel like I have a clear direction from the Lord. Do you ever feel that way? I'll multiply that by six. And the point, why, is so that you have men passionately pursuing understanding from the Lord. Isn't that what you want from leaders? Isn't that the kind of leaders we want to be? Or are we just looking for a monarchy? Yeah, I've seen lots of monarchies. I'm not too into it. Unless the monarch is Christ, and that's the head of the church, right? This is the person that we're pursuing. So 
Paul, he has this concept, he has this idea, and he wants us to be able to, to grapple with it. And Paul's instructions so far in 1 Timothy, he's laid out this to us. He's covered false teachers and holding fast to sound rock doctrine and, and the joys of public worship and prayer, right? Calling men and women to fulfill responsibilities within the church. And now he just comes to chapter 3 of 1 Timothy and he says... The saying is trustworthy. This is a good saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the word desire is in that verse twice. Uh, once, in, at least in the ESV, it's, it's translated aspire. And in the uh, in others, they both uh, are desire. But the the idea, what you see when you kind of delve down into it, is that you have what is happening on the outside. That's what it is to aspire. To aspire, the first word for desire means to reach out, to reach for something. <clears throat> the idea of reaching is it's just outside your grasp, right? You get the picture, reaching out, aspiring to uh, the office of overseer. And then the second word that he desires a noble task is an internal passion. So you have an external reaching brought together with an internal passion. And Paul says it's good. It's good. Why is it that the Lord would tell us it's good for a man to desire to reach out for the office of overseer and have this desire for leadership in his heart. Because that's what God created Adam to do. And the fall was Adam neglecting his purpose. The picture in Genesis is that there should have been a shield bearer before Eve. But sometimes, even today, we can say, I don't want to lead. I don't want to be an overseer, someone who's watching out for someone else. I just want to watch out for me. I just want to take care of me. I just want the, right? I just want, it's natural for us to be sort of self-focused or self-absorbed. But that's not the way God made us, Men. That's not how he made us. And that's not, that's not his desire for us. There is a realm, whether it's in the church or the family, maybe the job, I don't know. There's a realm in which God wants you to be an overseer. Where God wants you to be a shield bearer. Where he wants you to be watching out for the wolves. He wants you to be watching out for the lies of the enemy. I recognize that in in great degree in my life as husband, not pastor. Because the devil, he's good. And he can shoot them arrows straight into my wife's heart. And she don't even know where it's coming from. She don't always know why she feels what she feels or the anxiety that she has. But... I, as her husband, know where it's coming from. Now I can say, I just don't really want to be involved. Or I can say, I, I just kind of want to focus on me. But none of those things is fulfilling my purpose as her husband. If I'm the shield bearer, I want to block the fiery darts of the enemy. Through the shield of faith. And I don't want to assume they're the darts of the enemy. I want to know. And how do I know that? I know because I am pursuing Christ and walking by the Spirit. And if I do that, I can lead successfully. And if I don't, I won't. And maybe I'll grow weary of my wife sharing with me the struggles that she has or the things that she feels or the things that she sh she's seeking. But if I desire the office of an overseer, I'll reach out 
if I have this inner desire to protect. Paul says it's a noble task. Before it happens here in a corporate setting, it happens in each person in the individual setting, personally. Happens in their personal life. So that when we come to the book of Acts and we see that there's a there's grief in the church. It didn't take very long, by the way. Just a couple chapters. So so uh, I know people have this uh, this uh, love affair with the, the strength and power of the early church. And how come we're so much different than the early church? No, we're just like the early church. Yeah, a couple chapters in and they're squabbling. How come you didn't feed the widows who are, are Greek? How come you only gave to the widows who are Jewish? And so the apostle said, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We want you to choose six men full of the Holy Spirit who will be led by God to fulfill that purpose. And so they chose six men. You know a couple of their names. They're kind of famous guys. One of them's named Stephen. You heard of him? Yeah, remember he was preaching the gospel on a corner? And they got him. They got him. Look, we see these men filled with the Holy Spirit, called, lifted up by God, equipped, brought into to service with, with, uh, with the Lord. And the, the apostles, they said, look, we, we don't want to deal with uh, waiting at tables. They wanted to focus on doctrine, keeping things headed in one direction. The Bible says Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers as gifts to the church. Everybody's not the same. Some people have eyes to see things other people don't see. There's strength within the body when we're united together for one purpose. Just like there's strength on any team when we're united for one purpose. And so these men initially appointed, uh, they're in Jerusalem. They come alongside to make sure that the <coughs> feeding of the widows is, is that somebody's not being left out. That everything's being taken care of. And as they are serving in that regard, God starts to lift people up. Because the next thing you know, Stephen is, is out preaching and he's confronted by the scribes and the Pharisees and, and he's willing to stand and he is fulfilling the purpose for which he was made. Do you ever go, guys, do you ever go through life thinking there's got to be more to what I'm supposed to do than this? We all have a, a job, right? We have to take care of our family. We have to take care of making sure the, the things that we need to do in that regard are, are done. That's part of the responsibility of, of manhood. That's part of what God's calling us to. Do, do you know that you are a part of a bigger story than that? And that bigger story doesn't require you to quit. doesn't require you to travel, you know, 10,000 miles away. You can fulfill the bigger story right here just by being willing to say, God, I'm, I, I want to be able to stand in the gap. I want to be who you're calling me to be. And to be who you're calling me to be means I have to pursue you. I have to know you. I have to be led by your spirit. And I have to be willing to be broken. That's the part that kind of flies in the face for most guys. You can't break me. <laughs> Don't say that to God, man. He can break you. Trust me. Don't say that. But we have this, we have this macho thing sometimes within us, right? That, that we can't be broken. But what God wants is men who are willing to be broken. To, to bow down before him. And be crushed by him so that he can make the pot he wants. Not the pot we want. And the idea to aspire to that as men. The idea to aspire to that, reach out for it externally and desire it internally is a good thing. 
But there are things that God's going to do in us and through us, things God's going to accomplish to prepare us for that. To prepare you as husband, to prepare you as father, to prepare you for leadership within the church, to prepare you to be a leader within the community. It takes a humble man to bow the knee on the altar and say, break me, make me into what you want. And this is the call. This is the call that Paul is describing. When we look at the scripture, there's a couple of words used for here. In, in the King James or New King James, it's uh, the word bishop in English. Uh, the word that we find here is the word episkopos. And you're going to see the words that are sim- similar, familiar to you. Episkopos sounds like something else, right? You heard of Episcopalian? So it's, it's an idea of government. The other word utilized, not here specifically in Timothy, but in other places in the scripture talking about the same thing, is the word presbyteros. You ever heard of that before? Presbyterian, Episcopalian. We have these words that are used to de- de- define how a government was put together. So they become the Episcopalian church or the Presbyterian church because we follow this model. We follow this model. Well, Episcopos means overseer. Presbyteros means elder. And both are used synonymously in scripture. Only man can use two words that are pointing to the same thing to divide. But man, he's easy. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. So we have two, overseer, elder. One describes the job, the other describes uh, the person. The idea of the elder is just exactly what it sounds like. Someone who is older, who's kind of gone through some of the things of life. You know, when I was first a father, I was different. Ask my kids. I had a lot of, of things. I thought, And in some way it's true. I thought my kids were a reflection of me. And so I wanted them to look better than I was. Well, maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. As I grew older, I mellowed. I realized, you know, this thing that I'm so uptight about when I was a 30-year-old father as a 55-year-old grandpa... I'm not so stressed out about it. There's something that comes through time served that I think is valuable. So we have these two words describing a plurality of leadership, something that is valuable. He goes on in verse 2 to tell us, well, what is it that, that these things are supposed to do? We have a desire. Okay, what's the a, what's a qualifications? Well, the first thing... Well, we'll look at several things, but there's categories. Categories of personal integrity. There's categories of uh, marital fidelity. There's categories of emotional maturity. And we want to recognize these things because these are all things that we want to see God develop in our lives so that we might be raised up. Otherwise, what's the point? Christ gave gifts to the church. So that the church would rise up. So that the church would be engaged in culture. So that the church would go outside of the walls. So that the church would influence society, not the other way around. So that we might take the truth. So therefore, an overseer, look at this little word, must. You see that word? An overseer must, verse 2, 1 Timothy 3, verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must. It's an emphatic participle. What does that mean? It means it's an absolutely, absolute necessity. It's not the word should. It's not the word may. It's the word must. These are things that must be a part of the, of the overseer, the one who would watch over, the one who would be the shield bearer. He must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
So as we consider this idea of personal integrity, the first thing he lays out is to be above reproach. The the word for being above reproach is the idea of, of not being able to be handcuffed. You ever been arrested? Yeah, there's at least one truthful brother here. <laughs> I've been arrested. Your pastor been arrested before. Sorry. I haven't been arrested by Rusty yet. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm hopeful that that continues. I, I try not to give him too many reasons to do it. To be above reproach is to not be laid hold of, to be cuffed, to be charged with a crime. It does not mean sinless, but it has to do with your outward representation. The outward representation of who you are. You must be above reproach. And above reproach requires a consistent reliance on the forgiveness of God. Because if most of us are honest, we might say, that's hard. That's hard. But then it requires our choices to be governed. It it requires all the other things that we're going to look at. In Titus, when this is laid out in Titus, the same thing is brought out. If anyone is above reproach, a husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Must be above reproach. Man, the only way to achieve such a thing is to be relying on the Lord. And if you're not, you won't make it that doesn't mean relying on yourself doesn't mean relying on your own power doesn't mean relying on your own understanding it means relying on the lord and reliance on the lord means we have to be in a pretty constant communication with him right we got to be reaching out to him we it's easy for us to do it when our our father has a stroke but we want to be in that reliance all the time, right? It's easy to do it when, when we find ourselves under the weight of, uh, of uh, an illness, cancer, or something else. We, it's, it's easy to rely because we what else are you going to do? You have nowhere else to go. We need to learn that that needs to be our first step. Reliance on the Lord. He must be above reproach. There ought to be a good testimony uh, among outsiders he says in verse 7 of first timothy 3 moreover he must be well thought of by outsiders that means to have a good reputation outside right that people know you as someone who is honest humble so that he may not fall into disgrace or into the snare of the devil that's a trap snare the devil wants to bring men to fall well not only is there a call to This idea of moral integrity, relying on the Lord. But there's also a category of marital fidelity. The husband of one wife. And people have argued over these things for ad nauseum. Right? Husband of one wife. Does that mean if anyone's ever been divorced, they can't be an elder or a leader within the church? Is that that what he's talking about? Well, there's no qualification there. That's certainly not what he says. If he wanted to say it. That's not hard to say. Why does it matter there's no qualification? Well, what about a man whose wife died and was remarried? What about that? Husband of one wife. What's he talking about? A one woman man. A man who is walking in marital fidelity with his wife. Everybody's got history. I'm not interested in turning back the clock and seeing where you failed or where you struggled in the past. But what God's word is calling us to is to understand God's value of marriage. Do you know that now? Not, what did I do once? Where did I stumble? Do you understand the fidelity of marriage now? Do you understand that God's purpose in marriage at this time 
Do you know that God is calling uh, man to a monogamous relationship with one woman? For ever. Do you know that now? She. He is to be a one woman man. Not a, a concept here about divorce and remarriage. Not a concept here about remarriage of any kind. It's an understanding. Do you understand the sanctity of marriage today? If you do, why, you're qualified to lead. If you don't, you're not. These are the requirements he lays out. There's a category of emotional maturity. How is your relationship with the Lord? In verse 6 he says, He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And we'll talk about that a little later when we get there. But the idea, you have to have a relationship with Christ, right? That should be something that we understand. We want to be people who are leaders within the church. We want to be people who are able to lead, fulfill the <clears throat> desire and aspirations of our life. Then, then we need a relationship with Christ. Not new. We need to be walking with him. Because you will be tested like never before. A novice will be puffed up. That means his head swells. He develops a kingdom mentality. This is my kingdom. This is the kingdom which I have built. That's not anything that God wants. God wants someone like David. Now David wasn't without his failures, right? You remember what happened when David's son Absalom rebelled against David? Do you remember? He got off the throne and walked out of Jerusalem. He didn't say, this is my kingdom and we're going to brawl. He's like, you know what, I, I don't know. Maybe this is something God's doing. So he just walked away. He just walked out of the city, took his army out of the city. He just walked away. Now you, there could be a lot of different discussions about whether he should or shouldn't. The only one who can answer that question is David and his communion with the Lord and how God was leading him. But as he walks out, he's seeking God. What do you want from me? This is not... The kingdom was not the thing. The crown was not the thing. The throne was not the thing. The head is Christ. Not me. The head is Christ. I'm not a big title guy. If you hang around the church, you'll notice most people call me Jackie. That's my name. I don't have a parking place that says, Most Holy Right Reverend. <laughs> and my parking place is as far away as I can park because I can still walk so that people who can't can be closer. It's not about titles. I hate titles. Titles drive me crazy, not because there's not value in them. They help people understand uh, who you are or what you're doing. <clears throat> I get that, but there's this this fear in me, this, this struggle in me with people who want to cling to a title. At Calvary Chapel Buell, we rotate elders every three years. And you can ask some of the elders who have been on and stepped off. There's a weird feeling when you do that. There's a weird feeling like, what just happened? Well, you didn't change. You're still who you were, right? And if you were qualified to be a leader then, you're qualified to be a leader now, Right? And you should still be able to fulfill that purpose of watching out, even though you may not sit around the table with the other five guys anymore, or for a time. But there are things within us that war for acknowledgement from all the wrong things. And I don't know if that's what it is or not, but I, I, I am aware of the feeling. I've felt that way before myself so it's not about the title it's about who can we elevate are we lifting up christ are we elevating the name of jesus christ that's the job whether it's youth pastor or children's pastor or worship or sunday school or assistant pastor or senior pastor or all of those things all of those titles all of those jobs 
They all have one point. One point. Are we elevating Christ? Are we lifting up the name of Jesus Christ? Not, is my plaque on my door nice? Are we lifting up the name of Jesus Christ? We want to have a relationship with Him. We don't want to be a novice. We want, we want to be somebody who can who can hear from him, who can receive him, who recognizes the fingerprints of God. How does the word describe it? Sober-minded. you got to be sober-minded. Serious, serious-minded. Now here's where our mind always goes when something happens in your life, when, when there's some new wrinkle or something that comes out. Almost all of us, we do the same thing. We look at the bearer of it. And we say, oh, you don't like me. Well, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Or you're not for me. Or whatever number of, of excuses or struggles we might have when something happens. Nobody, nobody likes it when, when something enters into your life that was unforeseen. But here's what God says. Look, I want you to be serious-minded. I want you to look for my fingerprints in everything. Is God sovereign? That means, is God in control? Now, does God make every choice for us? I don't, I don't believe that he does. But is he sovereign? Uh, yes. He's king. And nothing enters into my life that doesn't pass through the hands of a God who loves me. So if it enters into my life, I want to say, Lord, what, 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 what do you want me to do? What do I do? It's easy to be angry. It's easy to be frustrated. It's easy to be all these other things. But someone who wants to lead, they have to be sober-minded. The next word is self-controlled. So we want to be sober-minded, seriously-minded, thinking about the fingerprints of God and whatever the situation is. <clears throat> and then we want to be self-controlled because it's easy to lose self-control, right? But the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's expressed, one of the ways it's expressed is through self-control. He has not given us a spirit of fear, right? He has given us a spirit of power, and of love, you know the next one? And of self-control. Amazing how that. We can be self-control. We want to say, Lord, I, I, I want to respond to what you have for me. And now not only does it talk to us about being, about being sober-minded and about being self-controlled, not only does he lay these things out for us, but he says, I want you to be respectable. I want you to have concern for others. Having concern for others is the opposite of being self-absorbed or self-focused. But rather saying, no, I, I want to consider how this affects others. I want to consider how this is <coughs> seen. Uh, I want to consider how all these things work out. So I want to be able to be uh, someone who is respectable. Respectable toward others. How do I know that's what he's talking about? Because the next word. Respectable and hospitable. Hospitable, the word literally means a lover of strangers. To care about people that you have never met. To be hospitable. And then he tells us not only that, not only do I want you to have this response toward people, that you're contented, that you're concerned but I want you to be confident. I want you to be able to teach. Able to teach. Some people think I can't teach. Able to teach has nothing to do with being able to do a three-point sermon. I, I can't even do it. Able to teach doesn't, doesn't mean that you're able to land the plane at exactly the appropriate time. Because I don't do that either. Able to teach means do you have something to share with someone else? And are you willing some people teach by just being in a room. Because more things are caught than what's taught. My uncle was a very godly man. He never taught me one thing about doctrine. He taught me a lot about being self-controlled. I would... He, ha, he had a German automotive business, and I was in high school and was, 
one of his mechanics. So, I don't know how many of you guys remember, but from 17 to 18, I totaled like eight different cars. I'm a good driver. Ask Rusty, he'll tell you. So a guy would come in with his Porsche to get the oil changed. And that come to my bay, so I'd change the oil, and then i got to take it out for a road test. You know that a 911 Porsche will go 110 miles an hour uphill in third gear? That it will corner like it's on rails? Yeah, my uncle taught me a lot about self-control. He was probably one of the most patient men I've ever known. And he never once sat down and said, Jackie, I need to teach you lesson number one. He just lived able to teach. Everybody has something to teach. Everybody is, has something with which to share. We just have to be willing. And in order to be willing, we have to be a part. And so when he talks about the elder, he says, hey, th- this guy's able to teach. He understands what's right and wrong. Do you know that? <clears throat> he, understands, he understands good doctrine from bad doctrine. He understands those things because they become a pursuit in his life and he's able to teach, to correct someone who's in opposition to the truth. Also, Scripture goes on to say, not a drunkard. People have been arguing about this for a millennia, probably. Can you drink or can't you drink? Knock yourself out. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not drink wine or thou shalt not drink beer. Or thou shalt not drink whatever it is you want to drink. The Bible says, you shall not be drunk. Here's the beauty. The Bible says, a man's hair shouldn't be long. And I asked you this question. Remember the ponytail, right? I asked you this question. Everything I do is a lesson if anybody's listening. I asked you this question. Bible says for it not to be long, how long is long? Here's the, here's the other part of the rub. What? The Bible doesn't tell you point whatever is drunk. What does the Bible say? Don't be drunk. Is that one drink? Two drinks? Three drinks? Four? I don't know. I'll tell you, I choose not to drink, but I'll, I'll give you a reason why. I, I don't drink at all. Well, not very often. If me and Kathy go away, I, I, I sometimes I long for a beer and steak. So I occasionally will have a beer with my steak when we're in Coeur d'Alene and I don't have to worry about any of you guys walking around the corner. <laughs> but I, don't, I, I certainly don't drink here and there's a reason because I never know when my phone's going to ring. Last night, 8.30, I get a phone call. You know, Butch had a stroke and I may be needed to go now. And I might have thought, well, we're just having a chill night and sit down and have a glass of wine and maybe I'm okay and maybe I'm not. I don't know, right? And I take off to the hospital and get pulled over and fail a breathalyzer and then I'm in jail trying to explain to the board of elders why the the preacher's driving drunk. So I make life simple. Right? I, I know if I'm on vacation with my wife somewhere away, nobody's calling me. They got to call somebody else now. So we want to, but what's the point? What is the point that God's laying out for us? He's laying out for us, look, you can't be drunk. You always have to be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is within you, in a spirit of meekness and fear, so that you're always ready. That means sometimes we, there's things we lay down that we say, well, this is not more important than that. Are you tracking? We want to be uh, able to lead. We can't be a drunkard. We can't be violent. That means not prone to fist fights. You'd think these are rules you wouldn't need. So just hang out here a little bit. These are things you think you wouldn't need. But the reality is, look, he's saying, look, you've got to turn that away. You, we all were, as men, we were all the old man once, right? 
And the old man once used to go take somebody out behind a woodshed with a pipe. So we're going to settle this once and for all. Me and my brother worked the same job one time. I was a foreman on a construction crew. <laughs> he was one of the guys working. He didn't like that relationship. So he was really giving me a lot of grief and we're banging heads. And so, so I said, look, we got to settle this. And he said, you're right, we got to settle this. So after work, we went out behind the shed and we boxed. And after, you know, getting all that stuff out and, you know, bloody lip and bloody nose, I asked him, are you done now? No, that, I'm the one who had a bloody nose and a bloody lip. <laughs> you see my brother, <laughs> he, he's a mountain of a man. So I said, are you good now? He says, yep. I said, okay, tomorrow I'm still the boss. <laughs> he said, I know. And we were good. But the Bible says that that's not the kind of leadership that God's looking for for men. He's looking for men who don't need that anymore. Who have said goodbye and let it down and are willing to be gentle. Because that's how Jesus was, right? Willing to have that gentle outlook. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not somebody looking for a fight. And finally, not someone who's in love with money. Not a lover of money. If Trust me, if you're a lover for money, this is not... Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's not true. If you're a lover for money, this could be a very lucrative job. Yeah, some of the richest people in the world are preachers. But... They unfortunately may not qualify for being a good leader according to God's design. I don't know their heart, but you can't be greedy for money. Money can't be the motivation. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Look. What God is comparing, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, we, we want to be content with what we have. And the very next line is the words Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what you have. So he's saying, you already have everything you need. You don't need anything else. A leader in God's economy understands that. Understands that in Christ, I have everything I need. Everything. Man, as we consider these these things laid out before us as we look at these requirements i guess i just want to we're going to wrap it up but i guess i want you guys just to really be able to focus in on the reality that god wants us as men to desire to be in leadership but that means be willing to be crushed be willing to be broken be willing to let go of things that you pretty consistently fall back on and and step out into something that requires your reliance on the lord because if we get men full of the holy spirit totally reliable or reliant on the lord then we will have everything people might think is lacking within the church today. And it won't have anything to do with anything other than the laying aside of, of how we've always done it or how we've always thought it or our own strengths and saying, no, I don't need my own strengths. I need, I need the Lord's strength. I don't need my own understanding. I need the Lord's understanding. I don't need my own wisdom. I need God's wisdom. And if you have people that, that that's what their focus is, right? That's their desire. I want to be led by God. I want to be instructed by God. I want to step off where God's telling me to step off. I want to do the things God's telling me to do. Then you have everything that you need to see a body of believers be lifted up and then affect the world. Well, that's, that's how all that stuff works. So we're going to continue this journey next week. We got some more stuff that we need to unpack. But I just want to really encourage you as, as men specifically, one of the things that we're focused in on, at least in this section as we talk about it, is, is the role of men and the idea, man, I want, I want that. I want what God has for me. I want that reliance on him. And maybe the Lord never lifts you up as an elder of the church, but maybe he makes you a better husband. Maybe he makes you a better father. 
Maybe he makes you a better business owner. Maybe he makes you a better employee. Reliance on him is never going to be the wrong route. It will always be the right route. But keep in mind the lesson of Jeremiah. I want to understand what you're doing, God. Jeremiah, get thee down to the potter's house and watch God make man. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunities we have to study your word. And I do pray, God, that it be our desire to be men and women governed by your word. What you direct, how you lead, how you <coughs> teach, Lord. We, we are not trying to drag you into the 21st century. We are trying to live lives in submission to your word, to your plans, to your call. God, may we be convicted and challenged by your word. May we be uh, drawn to a place where we, we want to find... We want to find the truth. And the truth is that God is good. And He has good plans for us. And sometimes those good plans make us happy. And sometimes those good plans make us sorrowful. But they're still good. God, may we submit ourselves to You. And allow you to do a work in us. That we here, Calvary Chapel Buell, may have a desire to lead, may have a desire to grow, may have a desire to be a gift to the church because of what we can do. Because, well, it was never a call for one man to do it all, it was a call. For men and women to stand together, to be the body of Christ, full of all different parts and pieces, but who all work together for one purpose, to see the name of Christ on everyone's lips. So God, may we be able to recognize and real, realize the greatness of this work that you've begun. And may you be glorified as we submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.